I'm Blake Hargreaves, and this is Future Stops. The meditative sounds you hear are the work of American composer and performer Kali Malone. Based in Stockholm, Malone's serene, entrancing music encompasses different tuning systems, arrangements for organ with voices, strings, and modular synthesizer. Today on Future Stops, we talk about her much-celebrated 2019 album, The Sacrificial Code, the path that led to its creation, and how what she's working on now connects back to her roots as a young musician. So I grew up singing, and... I went to an arts high school in Denver. There I met a lot of different artists and all of my friends were quite older than me. And I got into experimental music and noise music and hardcore. And, uh, but I was always uh, training singing classical music at that point. But yeah, then I, when I moved to uh, Western Massachusetts, I, I got into experimenting with tapes and pedals and using my voice and getting really into free free improvisation. I had a a duo with the darkroom professor at the school that I was going to named John Snyder. He was in his 60s and I was 16 and we became best friends. And we were uh, playing music in the basement of the lecture hall at the school and people would climb down into the uh, window wells <laughs> to listen to us <laughs> yeah he was really influential on me he gave me like first Cocteau Twins cassettes and actually he was playing a show in Hudson New York and I had to get a fake ID to go to the show and so I went to New York City and I was trying to yeah get an ID so I could go see him play and then I got invited to go to this house show and I met Ellen Arkbro there. And uh, she's this amazing Swedish musician and composer. And I was 16 and she was 21 maybe. And it was her first time ever in the States. And we just like had this magnetic attraction. And um, I went to go visit her maybe a year later in Stockholm. And uh, she introduced me to all of her friends and um, something happened when I met her and her community. And her community was um, primarily focused on free jazz and electroacoustic music. And it was kind of this eye-opening experience of how, how to listen and communicate with each other in a very sober and uh, respectful way because in the in the US my whole experience with experimental music was really centered around this social party like attitude um that kind of goes along with with uh you know a high energy show in a warehouse Malone's trip to Stockholm when she was 17 at the invitation of Ellen Arkbro was not just a shift in energy around the experience of listening to music. It is also what started her on the path to composing music for the pipe organ. I definitely was exposed to the organ through Ellen 
when Ellen was writing her piece for organ and brass, uh, there was also um, uh, our friend Marta Forsberg, who was writing a piece on the same mean tone organ at the German church in Stockholm. And I remember going to that concert and just being, I was just weeping at the end. It was so, so beautiful. But I, I didn't uh, start working with the organ until I was in my, doing my uh, bachelor's thesis uh, when I was studying at the Royal College of Music in Stockholm. I was writing a lot about tuning systems and, and just intonation. And I, did, I wanted to uh, learn more about uh, organ tuning. So I went to interview an organ tuner named Jan Boryasan. He originally allotted, I had to go uh, into the suburbs of Stockholm and visit him at a church he was working at. And he said, okay, I have 15 minutes to talk to you, but it's a really big job I have to do today. So just a, a, just a short interview. And we got along so well. I think we spent eight hours together that day. And I, I ended up tuning the organ with him. And uh, it was, yeah, just this amazing bond we had over um, over tuning and and the phenomena of sound. And so I ended up apprenticing for him and working with him for a couple of years. Uh, we would travel around Sweden to different churches and very rural areas and <laughs> fix the organs <laughs> and tune them. Yeah, I learned so much about listening. I already uh, had been developing my listening skills a lot through working with Just Intonation over the years. And, oh yeah, but when we started working together uh that was when i started playing the organ uh and i not a key i'm not a very good keyboard player i grew up playing piano but i was i was much more interested in the guitar and and then later electronics so i was studying electroacoustic music at the time and i was making a lot of generative music in pure data and so I just applied the same generative techniques that I was using in my uh, compositions in Pure Data basically to the organ. My idea of minimalist form is, um, I've never really defined this so clearly. Um, I don't think it needs the clearest definition because there's something quite poetic and individual about what every person would consider to be a minimalist or maximalist form. And obviously within a minimalist uh, within a minimalist structure, there's like very massive macro experiences that come out of that. I guess for, for me, it would be um, really defining structural elements and creating a clarity in the composition that um, is not only clear to the composer, but clear to the listeners, that the listeners are invited into the 
intellectual and creative process of the composition and not necessarily sitting at the edge of their chairs wondering what's going to happen around the corner. Uh, it's a, a sort of listening that um, it's understood what the sound world, what the compositional structure is at the moment of listening. And therefore, the listener and yourself, you don't have to listen in an anticipatory way. Malone's approach to minimalism, which embraces precision and explores ideas of process and structure, is given added depth by her use of tuning systems like Just Intonation, a tuning system she first experiments with on an entirely different instrument. For me, working with Just Intonation, I, I, for me that went hand in hand with working with minimalist structures, um, not only because of all the various uh, traditional influences from um, 60s American minimalist music, but just the economy of notes <laughs> when you're figuring out a sort of modality that you can use in just intonation and depending on the instruments that you have. Uh, for me, I started working with just intonation uh, mostly on the electric guitar. And, and uh, so I would only be able to use the open strings and not the fretted, not be able to fret, obviously. So I had very few notes I could use. Okay, six notes plus the fifth harmonics. <laughs> and so figuring out what what characteristics I could create with these limitations of, okay, here's six pitches and their various harmonics and figuring out, yeah, the, the richness of experience that could emerge from um, a very limited, a very seemingly limited um, musical choices is actually super vast and this idea of quantity and uh, quantity of uh, of expressions and having, oh, I'll play this many notes and it seemed as virtuoso. It's, it's sort of this thing in classical, contemporary classical music that uh, composers should write many notes uh, in their compositions to give the musicians a good bang for their buck. <laughs> At least that's what I experienced when I was studying composition. Um, sort of idea that maybe musicians were a bit disappointed if there weren't, if there wasn't more information, more challenge, more a more quantity of uh, Italian words and notes on the page uh, to give them some more labor. <laughs> and uh, oftentimes I had the experience. Uh, that I would give my scores to some musicians and they'd say, oh, it's super easy, great, this is all, okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but then when it came to executing the music, it was actually much more difficult um, <laughs> to, to achieve and pull off and uh, the sort of struggle in the mind to sit, sit with something for longer than you're comfortable with. This is something I learned a lot from Pauline Oliveros' work. The challenge between, between yeah, maintaining your active listening and going beyond that urge to change, uh, the sort of endurance seeking, and also, she yeah, she has this one this one piece that is hold a note for as long as you can stand it, and then once you can stand it, change it. <laughs> Uh, and I love just, yeah, figuring out that timing of like, okay, I'm holding a note. Oh, I'm at, I'm at uh, three minutes and it's, 
it's impossible. I want to change. I'm so, I'm, my anxiety is overwhelmed. I, I need to change notes. But then when I get to seven minutes, I, I couldn't imagine any other note but this one. It's the most beautiful note in the world. There's so much complexity in the series. I've like completely have, uh, you know, released myself to this note. And then at that moment is when you should change. <laughs> The history of tuning is the history of dividing the syntonic comma over the octave. And the syntonic comma is the space between octaves that uh, was developed with, uh, the Pyth with Pythagoras um, from tuning in perfect fifths out. And, uh, and when you tune in perfect fifths out, the octaves slowly, slowly widen and widen, and then you have this spiraling seashell uh, type of formation that occurs. So if you're going to play, you know, an A at low octave and, a and an A at five octaves higher, they're going to be different. They're not going to be in tune. Um, but if you go in fourths and fifths up, up the, up, up the octaves, those are going to be in tune when they're in the same octave. So this is an, this is an issue about, uh, yeah, making, making sound, um, uh, standardizing it in a certain way in order for, yeah, just that it's a technology uh, for the evolution of music. And so various cultures in, uh, in various times, there was different ways of stylistically distributing this comma and making certain notes absorb the comma, making them out of tune. In, um, in mean tone temperament, you have the wolf tone, which is... Uh, uh, a note in the octave that absorbs a majority of the comma in order to let other notes be more pure, like thirds and sixths. And basically, when we got to equal temperament, uh, the wolf tone, this comma became equally distributed amongst every pitch in the, uh, the 12-tone scale, except for the octave. So just intonation would be... Um, only using low number ratios in order to create completely periodic pitch. And um, there's almost an infinite uh, amount of pitches that you can create in just intonation. So it's a, a very um, unique thing that um, people can create is these harmonic experiences that are completely non-standardized and unique to themselves. And in uh, many other cultures, it's quite obvious, especially in uh, Arabic music and in and, and Hindustani music. It's uh, it's like a no-brainer that you would do this, but for some reason in the West, <laughs> it like became completely standardized, and and it's like a lost technology now. Malone's intricate experiments with just intonation are expressed with confidence and exuberance on her 2016 album, Tragic Chorus, a triptych of pieces for guitars and just intonation and generative organ. 
The album was co-released by a label in her hometown of Denver, Colorado called Bleak Environment, which at the time was not known for releasing contemporary organ music. Tragic Chorus. That music came about from, yeah, when I was making, uh, finding this way of working with generative music and in Pure Data. And I was working with four-voice harmony. And uh, for every oscillator, I would create a unique um, spectrum. So I would choose every partial. And I wouldn't have more than 15 partials for every oscillator. And then I would have uh, a set number of pitches, of just pitches that I would use. Uh, it would it would be under it would be around six pitches probably, and their octave variations. And then I would have um, every oscillator would have a different uh, rhythmical duration. And then I would just go <laughs> and see what emerged from that. At that time, I was um, I was together with a man uh, from Denver, and he had this um, black metal and noise label called Bleak Environment. And so I was I was doing all of this, uh, you know, conceptual electroacoustic music, but uh, and culturally I was kind of split between yeah this academic world in Stockholm and then going back to where I'm from in Colorado and being like really involved in. Um, in that world, and uh, and all of my friends there were, yeah, part of metal bands. I was living with the band uh, Spectral Voice and Blood Incantation, and uh, they were really interested in uh, dungeon synth music and and uh, looking and, and finding. And that's kind of what they heard in that music at the time. And I thought that was super interesting to uh, because it it also paralleled with my interest in early music. And some of the compositional structures that I that I was using with the generative music was very similar to uh, canonical structure and just this idea uh, that is in, in in early music that is super restrictive compositional methods that are implied by um, that are imposed on to composers from from the church or a feudal situation and um, the limitations that composers and musicians had within these societies and the music that uh, resulted from that. So I was I was interested in yeah in those in those limitations and archetypes and and uh, tragic chorus I was making these music this music or I don't know experiments and um, it and it resonated with that community and, and so that was my first release was on this <laughs> was with this uh, yeah justly tuned academic generative music but on a black metal label and so it sort of um, it sort of 
prompted this very uh, like interesting um, and fun collaboration with different different musical cultures and sort of finding these bridges and connections and inspirations uh, between different communities of people and finding the connections of thought and art there. had released the tape with Aceticals, Organ Dirges 2016 to 2017. And this was just this, as I mentioned earlier, was the sort of next step in realizing the generative structures, but on acoustic instruments. Yeah, so I, the sacrificial code was basically, I just had to explore those ideas more because on Organ Dirges, I, when I made that I had no idea I was making music. I, I, I was just recorded all of that on a Zoom and it was this experimental thing I was doing. And then I sent it off to my friends at Ascetic House and they put it out. And then suddenly there was all this interest in it. I was like, oh, I guess I have to start playing organ now. <laughs> and and so I, I really just went deeper into those ideas. And, um, and then I discovered this organ uh, through Jan Boriason, he was tuning this organ in a temperament called Kernberger III, which is a late mean tone temperament. Um, and it has pure thirds uh, and C major. And then there's also mm, several other pure intervals that you can achieve through there. And it's just, it's just so beautiful. And so I started composing pieces uh, for that organ. And then... Um, during the same year, I um, visited my friend Carl Hörlund uh, in Pitio, in the north of Sweden. And he was working at the concert hall in Pitio called uh, uh, Acousticum. And there's a really beautiful, innovative pipe organ there that has a lot of, a lot of different technological advancements, but one in particular that I was obsessed with was um, these potentiometers that you could um, adjust the air pressure on just certain pipes, so not the entire organ, which I had been doing uh, previously on the organ dirges record. But um, so this was interesting because I could use the same pipes, the same eight foot octave pipes, and um, and I could assign the the air pressure controls just to one of the pipes. So it was a, I was able to actually kind of work with uh, this microtonal and dynamic swells um, while still maintaining the pitch on um, certain pipes. I was pretty interested in um, dissecting canonical form in uh, in this way because I, I had obviously like first come across canonical forms in early religious music, 
um, like the music of, I think the first time I was really dissecting canonical forms was in the music of Josquin Duprez. And um, I found it so interesting to try to follow a single voice for as long as I could without looking at the score and then just feeling completely lost. <laughs> and, um, and even this music that is so rational in its construction, it, listening to it in a linear way is, mm, it's, it's impossible. It's almost like if you, if you think about, you can't sing more than one note at a time and even thinking about harmony is very difficult and thinking about the connection of this type of music that is um, performed in churches and how how these canonical structures also aid in the architectural structures of the church and the, all of the adornments that go into um, providing a certain psychological effect on the person within the church and experiencing that music. Yeah, I was I was interested in investigating these techniques, but from a very different cultural place.
You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, The Spectacle of Ritual, from the 2019 album The Sacrificial Code, composed and performed by today's guest, Kali Malone. The album had a seismic impact upon its release and was a regular on year-end lists of reviewers and critics from many different genres, which as we all know is an impressive feat for organ music. As she continues to compose, Malone is once again delving into yet another tunic system and has received a new commission which brings back sounds from her past. I've been working on these new pieces for organ um, with um, this organ at the Orgel Park in Amsterdam um, that is tuned in a, a temperament from um, around 1470 called Pietro Aron. I working on those pieces and finding a lot of uh, solace in that temperament. But then I've also been applying those pieces on various mean tone tempered organs as well and just sort of spending time with them, trying to learn from them, <laughs> figure out what they figure out what they mean. <laughs> There's something about these compositions that uh, in the way that I write them isn't in a linear way of um, figuring out, oh, this is my this is what I want to express. Um, as if, if you're writing a song with lyrics, there's generally that, that kind of, uh, cognitive awareness when you approach things with words, but approaching things instrumentally and also using, um, kind of rigid structures that are seemingly objective structures, which you decide, um, that help you make decisions, uh, that, I don't know, there's sort of this this discovery process where I have to sit with the music for a very long time before um, understanding the, uh, the identity of it and the, the, what it's trying to teach me. So those are, yeah, those organ pieces I'm working on, yeah, they're very close to me right now. <laughs> and uh, the choral pieces, I was so grateful to receive this commission for the Macadam Ensemble. Um, they're a very talented French uh, vocal ensemble uh, with their expertise in early music. And um, it felt sort of like the, this very, uh, the perfect colliding of my interest in vocal music, which has been very subdued um, in the la- since I moved to Sweden and um, kind of connecting back to my, my roots of vocal music and uh, my roots of poetry as well that I have been, um, I haven't really been focusing on for the last six or seven years. The complete composition for the Macadam Ensemble is now viewable online for a limited time in a haunting video you can find linked on our website and social media pages. Callie Malone's meticulous and complicated compositional methods may seem to be at odds with the sublime simplicity many people hear in her music. The sound shares so many qualities with mind-clearing meditative practice, yet seems to be the product of a very active brain. It's in the transition from composition to performance that the work manages to blend these two and achieve the depth that people love when they hear it. The precise performance instructions leave no room for gushy emotional playing, 
causing the performer and audience alike to share in the work's apparent self-creation. Thank you to Kali Malone for joining us on Future Stops. If you'd like to learn more about her work, all of the links and info can be found on our social media pages. That's YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Remember to subscribe to the Future Stops podcast and those social accounts and join our community. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists, produced by Andrew O'Connor, with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves. Thanks for listening.